transition now to really getting into the Word of God to see how God speaks into the lives of His people. And it's, uh, it's just so awesome and inspiring to think of these folks, whether it's these folks that are young folks that are here as interns and are saying, I'm going to give my time. I'm going to give my time in a summer, and most of those are not getting paid. And I'm going to give my time to be able to serve God, or I'm going to give my life to go across the world to see God's voice, God's message made known here and around the world. And so as we do, we look into God's word, and there's some challenging, challenging messages as we go into this, as we continue in this series called God Speaks, as we look at these books we call the minor prophets, these shorter prophetic books uh, that have these extremely major messages from these folks we call the minor prophets. And today we look into the book of Zephaniah, all right? Zephaniah. And I'm sure you all have the book of Zephaniah memorized from your time in, uh, you know, vacation Bible school. But um, we are excited to look into what continues to be rebuke and judgment in all of these minor prophets, but leading into hope in the presence of God, that there is hope for his people when God is in their midst. And so just even some kind of introductory stuff is I encourage you to grab, if you haven't already, grab this outline uh, that's in your bulletins that you should have got when you came in, hopefully. But um, you can start looking in there on the back. We've got a little bit of a, a timeline of where all of these different books kind of land in some of the storyline of Israel. This book, Zephaniah, happens when a guy named Josiah is the king of Judah. Remembering in the period where these books are written, you've got what we think of as all of Israel is split into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The north called Israel, the south called Judah. <clears throat> in the, this part in the book of Zephaniah is almost a hundred years after the northern kingdom, Israel, has already been defeated by the Assyrian Empire and taken away in exile. But Judah, the southern kingdom, which is where Jerusalem is, Judah's still there, but very soon is about to get defeated themselves and taken into exile by the Babylonian Empire. So you've got these sort of what they think of as this, these regional superpowers. You have the Assyrian Empire, Nineveh as their capital. Then Babylon takes over and is this superpower. And then after that, the Persian Empire defeats and becomes the superpower. And then after that, the Greek Empire and then the Roman Empire. Okay, that's kind of that timeline of what happens in this region of the world is these massive superpowers. Babylon is just defeated Assyria, and they are now the superpower, and pretty soon they're going to also defeat Judah, Jerusalem, the southern kingdom. But we're right before that, and Josiah is this good king. They actually were cleaning the temple. They find a scroll, we think it was Deuteronomy most likely. They find a scroll that they hadn't been reading. There had been all these evil kings. He reads it. He's inspired by it and struck by it, and they start making reforms. But it's kind of too little, too late. He ends up dying in battle, and then you move into then the, the exile of the southern kingdom. But all this is what Zephaniah comes into to speak God's judgment into, and there's a lot of it. God speaks judgment for sin to Jerusalem and the southern kingdom of Judah and to all the nations surrounding them. So 
He is coming in and coming in. God, through Zephaniah, is coming in strong, coming in hot. So I encourage you, turn to Zephaniah. I'm sure that's going to be easy for you. Uh, you can find it. It's a whopping about three pages in my Bible. It's almost to the very end of the Old Testament. But it's not Zechariah. It's Zephaniah. If you get to Zechariah, you've gone too far. In your, in your Bible, is on the back of the seat in front of you there. It is actually sort of creepily page 666 uh, and leads us to 668. But um, that's where we're at in the book of Zephaniah. Maybe a good day to use your phone to find it. Um, but, <coughs> but Zephaniah starts, he just starts right off with giving these couple verses that basically say he's going to reverse creation. Check out verse 2. He says, I will completely remove all things from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. And then he gives this list. I will remove man and beast. I will remove the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea and the ruins along with the wicked. And I'll cut off man from the face of the earth. And so you have even going along in this list, kind of like the creation account, but in reverse I am now destroying everything. That's the rebuke that God is bringing to start off these words to the people of Judah. So you know he's taking this thing seriously. You know he's, he's got some stuff that he's upset about. And so why? Why is God speaking this rebuke, speaking this judgment? I mean, the, the prophets, we can't just spend all of our time on the rebuke part because, I mean, we can just... The whole minor prophets thing is just judgment, rebuke upon these people because, and they're about to all go into exile. Now, the last couple weeks, Amos, Micah, a lot about oppression of the poor. We talked about that. This, this time, we've got a little bit of justice in here, but he, he's really hammering them. And you can look in your Bible throughout chapter 1, worshiping false gods and idolatry in verse 4 of chapter 1, mixing with other religions this thing we call syncretism of worshiping Yahweh, but also worshiping these gods of false gods of surrounding nations, just turning away from God, not listening to God when he, what he has told them. They're, they're not listening to God's voice. He says there's violence and deceit. He says their spirits, their hearts are stagnant towards God. And then there's these unjust leaders and false prophets that are kind of just making it all seem like it's Fine. Like, none of this is really wrong. And so that's what's going on. You see as well in chapter <clears throat> 3 that really God is saying, you are no different than all of these nations surrounding you. God brings judgment in chapter 1 on Judah. Chapter 2 is all about judgment of these surrounding nations. Gaza, Ashkelon, talks about Moab. Um, Canaan, others, that there's this judgment upon these surrounding nations all in chapter 2. And then 3 is kind of just like, look, the beginning of 3, there's no difference between you and the surrounding nations. There's no difference between my chosen people and the world. Which is a tough rebuke to consider even for us today. Is there a difference between us and the rest of the world? And so God speaks this strong, strong rebuke. And in the midst of all of that, he has this coming destruction that they will face from Babylon. But also there's a bit of pointing 
all the way into the distant future of what he calls the day of the Lord. You look at verse 7, verse 14. He says, near is the great day of the Lord, near and coming very quickly. Verse 7, be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. For the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has consecrated his guests. There's this great sacrificial feast in Revelation chapter 19 that he refers to. And that is where there's this comparison that there's this future day of the Lord coming. You will experience all of this, this desolation and destruction that will happen now. But there also is this great judgment to come in the future. And he gives them this... There's, this, there's talk of a, of a remnant of some people that, that are set apart. And in Zephaniah 2.3, it says, Seek the Lord, all you humble of the earth, who have carried out his ordinances. <clears throat> so these are people who are obedient, that are listening, that are not turning away from God. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Perhaps you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. Perhaps you will be hidden, he says. What's interesting about even then that being said in Zephaniah is that Zephaniah's name means the Lord hides. And there's kind of this twofold meaning in that where you have part of that is that we see in Scripture that the Lord's face is turned away from the wicked. But then you also have this sense that God will hide those who are his faithful ones from the wrath, from the destruction that is coming. The Lord hides. And so that's this message of Zephaniah, really, is that the Lord's face will be hidden, but also then the Lord will ultimately hide you from his wrath. And we'll kind of talk about how that comes. Because God, that's, that's the whole beginning, okay? First couple chapters. But if I read it all to you, it'd just be like destruction, 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 okay? Over and over and over again. And then we get into the near the middle of chapter three, and there's only three chapters. But this is where we kind of start to see part of why God is speaking this kind of judgment. Why is God judging them? Why will they go into exile? Why is all...
blessing to the nations with that in your nation, with that in your life. So now you are going to go through this time of refinement and exile so that I can then restore you into then being this blessing. Okay? Are you with me on that? You're tracking with where we're going with this. Because that's why all of this is happening, that God will pour out this on them so that then they can be refined, be restored. It's kind of like you, you fall and you break a bone, and then you have surgery on that, and they, there's surgery to help heal that, to help support that bone so it can heal properly. There's a period of healing, and then after that time, the bone is actually, they say, stronger than it was even originally. Right? It's kind of this time of struggle, of cutting and, 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 and uh, this surgery to be able to then be refined and restored and healed to be stronger even than you were before. This is what God has for his people and what he does in them. And this is really what, what we're, and we'll talk more about this, but what we are as uh, believers in Jesus whether we are part of that chosen people or not, we're grafted into this sense of being blessed to be a blessing to others. But we have to know that if we're gonna participate in that blessing, we also will participate in that refinement, in that purifying process. And we'll talk more about how that comes because it's not just through our actions at all. But I love that what we see in the life of Jesus and in the message of Jesus, is that Jesus, we think of Jesus as all love, all compassion, but Jesus loves us enough to not let us just stay in our sin, right? That we as people can't just stay in the state of sin in our life. This, this story that people love of this woman who's caught in adultery, and they're about to all throw stones at her until she's dead. And Jesus sees her. Jesus has compassion on her. And Jesus stops them from doing this in a unique and creative way. But then he doesn't look to her and say, all right, go ahead and go back to that adultery because I've got grace for whatever you do. No. Jesus says, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Because that sin in our lives it, it stops us from being able to be that blessing that God has called us to be. We are blessed to be a blessing to others. We are given the light of Christ to be a light to others. And so we can't have that sin just festering in us. We must go and sin no more. Uh, C.S. Lewis in a book called Problem of Pain, he actually talks about how uh, God is our Father, right? God the Father. But we don't like, actually, we don't really want God the Father. We want God the Grandfather. We want God the God who will give us all the candy we want, let us stay up late without consequence, and a bunch of money to buy whatever we want, right? I mean, that is, really, we want God the Grandfather, and we love grandparents, that's awesome, it's a, it's a fun job to be in, but what we need is God the Father. We need and know that our Father 
is, is there to bless us, but also to make sure that we have discipline and boundaries and guidelines and ways that, that we will have correction in how we can live our life so that we can be able to live what God's best life for us is. And so God seeks to, to you know, when he brings consequence into our life for our sin, it is not just to punish, but it is to refine and to purify us and help us to be able to then be that blessing to the, to the world, to the world. And so God, what we see though in this incredible couple of verses, there's a few verses in here that are just astounding, amazing verses. And you might not know anything about Zephaniah, but maybe you've heard Zephaniah 3.17. It's kind of the one sort of famous verse in the, the book of Zephaniah. But you see how this book comes to a close. If you even are looking in your Bible, 3.14 to 17 here. This is really close, getting to the very end of this book. And it turns. It takes a strong turn. And I want to read 14 to 17. It says, Shout for joy, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away his judgments against you. Remember how all these passages, these minor prophets, judgment, judgment, judgment. The Lord has taken away his judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. That there is hope in the presence of God. That the Lord is in your midst. You will fear disaster no more. Verse 16, in that day it will be said to Jerusalem, do not be afraid, O Zion, do not let your hands fall limp. Now verse 17, I'll read it first here in our New American Standard Bible. The Lord your God is in your midst. Again, he repeats it just two verses later. God is with you. The Lord your God is in your midst. A victorious warrior. He will exult over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. Amazing passage. I'm going to read it even again here. This is from the ESV. There's just slight differences in kind of the poetry of this passage. It says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. And he will exult over you with loud singing. Amazing Amazing passages, amazing verse with this beautiful love of God for us. But what I especially love in here is that we see that, okay, there's all this judgment, there's this exile, there's this future judgment, all this rebuke, and it's all coming, and there is, there's bad stuff coming for the people of Judah. It's going to be hard. But he's speaking to them of this hope in the future after this purifying, refining period. And he says, the Lord your God is in your midst. How will you be saved? How will you be purified? By him in your midst. God with you, a mighty one who will save. 
that God is this victorious warrior. He does the saving. He does the purifying. You're not going to be perfect. You're going to blow it. And God is with you. Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, God is with you, a mighty one who saves. And then it goes into this whole incredible part about God rejoicing over you with gladness. That God rejoices over you. It says God exalts over you. God lifts you up. We always exalt God. But it says God will exalt you. God, and, and he does this with loud singing. Imagine the God of the universe singing to you about you with love, with gladness, with delight in you. That's the heart of God for you. And, and that's the heart of God for his people. What's interesting too is you see in that, little, that larger segment of 14 to 17 that we read, it starts with the people of Israel, the people of Judah, singing to God, shout for joy, rejoice, exalt God, it says. Okay, so it starts with them worshiping and praising God with these loud singing and shouting to him. But then it switches to that part where now, in verse 17, God is singing over you. It's just, I don't know, I hope that you're as sort of amazed by that kind of a moment of this, this switch that this makes to God being delighted in you, being filled with gladness over you, rejoicing over you. And when is, when is he delighted in them? It's not because they now have gotten their act together. It's because he is, they have just, they've had to go through all this rebuke and judgment and exile. And God says, I love you. All of this is for you. I'm purifying you. And now I am saving you. All of this beautiful singing and shouting to God and from God. And even for us to recognize there for a moment, this is, it says loud singing. And this God is singing with loud singing over us and we are singing to him with, with shouts. As much as I search the scriptures, I, I find when I search the scriptures about singing and worship to God, I find parts where we are as people struck with utter and complete silence in awe and reverence to God. And then I find parts that are shouting and loud singing and resounding, clashing cymbals, Psalm 150, that kind of stuff. I can't find, and you can correct me if I'm wrong and you can find it, I'll say it up here the next time I'm on stage. I can't find anything that says, sing softly and a little bit quietly to God because you're rejoicing in him. It's not in there, okay? It's just not in there. It talks about loud singing, shouting, resounding cymbals to your God. It's just, that's what there is. You're either struck with silence or you're singing loudly to him. That's what worship is. And that's actually what God then does back to us. And I think that's pretty cool to look at and think about as a model for worship. And what we see then as we take this and kind of bring this into the New Testament and bring it to us today that we see God speaking the gospel, the good news of Jesus through his justice and his love together, okay? What, what you see in a lot of these minor prophets, in this, this one especially, you see this strong sense of God's justice, his judgment, his, his what we talked about last week, retributive justice, which is consequence for wrongdoing. 
but also his restorative justice, which is God making something that is wrong right. God restoring things back to how they are supposed to be. So God's justice and God's love. And sometimes we can think about these as sort of competing things, that God's wrath, God's justice, that's over here. And maybe sometimes that's all we talk about. But then you get over here, and sometimes all we talk about is God's love and grace, and that it, it's like, it's almost like sin doesn't exist, and there's no rules in the Bible, right? And so you get these things, and we think they're competing. But in Jesus, we see God's justice and God's love together. Because what Jesus does is he takes the justice, the judgment, the condemnation upon himself. He takes the wrath of God and the consequence of sin upon himself on the cross. And he does that because of his great love and compassion and grace. You with me on that? You see that? And that's what I think is so beautiful about even the message of, of Zephaniah here is that you have the, the justice and the love come together. And we see that in the mighty one who saves, which is the name of Jesus the one who saves, that is who does the saving. And so we, we have to know that God is doing both of those things, his justice and his love for all of us together through Jesus. John three sixteen, this very famous verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Because he loves so much, and that then while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. And the next verse, verse 9 in Romans 5 says, Having now been justified by his blood. How is justice? How are we made right? How are we made just in the eyes of God? That is by the blood of Jesus. And we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Jesus makes everything right. So we look to him and to him alone. We cannot purify ourselves. We cannot refine ourselves. We are only made right with God by the work of Jesus and trusting in that. And so that's what then takes us to how do we respond to this today is Romans 10, 9 to 10. It says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. This is how we are made right with God. We come to him and confess to him that he is our Lord. And if we are...
cross for you and is now alive again and he forgives you. And what I would ask you to do is here in a moment, we're going to sing some more songs in worship. There'll be a chance for all of us to come and to come to these stations and to remember what he has done on the cross, that he has given his body as we eat of the bread, that he gave his body. What we drink from the cup, we remember that he shed his blood to make us right with God. We remember that. We have a chance to come and to pray at these prayer points. I would encourage you, if you have not trusted in God for salvation, to come to the prayer points today and to pray with someone and to trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior today. Because it is the only way, the only way to heaven and an eternity with Jesus. Let's pray together for that now. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would be ministering to the hearts of men and women in this room. Lord, that if anyone in here has not trusted in you as Lord and Savior, that your Holy Spirit would speak into their hearts and minds now and challenge and convict them to come forward, to give their lives over to you today, God. Lord, to say that you are the only one that can save, that can purify, that can make us right with you, Lord God. I pray, Lord, that for the rest of us, that we would stop our striving and start trusting in you. It is in your name, Lord Jesus, we pray and we sing. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing as we come forward to the stations and come forward to pray. <laughs>